0: This week we're talking about progressing as a photographer with Joshua Cripps and you're listening to the Landscape Photography Podcast. Thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. This week, we're talking with Joshua Cripps, who is one of my favorite YouTube personalities. He is absolutely hilarious. You need to go check out his YouTube channel as well as all the videos on his website, which is joshuacripps.com. He's got lots of workshops and tutorials, all kinds of stuff you need to check out. Josh is absolutely awesome. I love Josh. Before we get started this week, I do want to let you guys know about the Out of Moab conference. As I mentioned last week, it went on sale Friday, this last Friday, and now it's already almost sold out. There's like 25 spots left, but if you use the offer code PAGE250, just P-A-G-E 250, that'll get you 250 bucks off registration, and you can find that at outofchicago.com slash Moab, or just do a search for Out of Moab. Hopefully, we can see you there. Josh is gonna be there with me, as well as Thomas Heaton, Aaron Bobnick, Jan Verena Patel, Sarah Marino, a whole bunch of other people. I'm really, really excited for out of Moab. It's gonna be amazing. Okay, with that, sit back and relax, and hopefully you'll enjoy this conversation that I had with Joshua Cripps. Dressing as a photographer is one of those things that I feel like is very relevant no matter what your skill level is. And to help me talk about that this week, we have Joshua Cripps. Thanks for coming on, man.
1: My pleasure. Thank you very much for having me.
0: I I love that I wrangled you up because you are one of my favorite YouTubers. Because oh, <laughs> Because in the world of stuffy landscape photographers you are pretty much like the antidote to that like you're kind of the polar opposite of that and i love that about you
1: (laughs) oh thanks man you know i was actually just talking to matt Payne about this recently Mm -hmm. um because he he was laughing at the bio that i have on my website and and this actually kind of talks to that point of progression that that we're going to speak about today but um when you are developing as a photographer not that you ever stop developing but There's definitely an awkward teenage phase, I think, when you're trying to get your approval of your peers and you're trying to prove to other people how cool you are or (laughs) how good of a photographer you might be. And I think that's the point. That's when everybody writes their bios, right? Because that's the point when you make a website, you go, hey, I think I'm kind of good at this. Maybe I should make a website and put my photos on there. And well, I have to write something about myself. Uh, I uh, I don't know what does everybody else write. Okay, award-winning photographer. Or, you know, I've <laughs> done X, Y, Z. But then I think people kind of forget to loop back to that once they've found their own person, their own style, their own personality in photography. And so we were talking about how so many, so many of these uh, bios are just cut and paste.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: and I thought, man, I. I just can't read about another award-winning photographer. What does it even mean? So I started writing this bio about, you know, about how all the awards I won were like the Certificate of Participation and the, uh, the Busy Bookworm Award, which is actually <laughs> an award that I did win when I was in second grade <laughs> for reading the most books in my class. Uh, I just started to, you know, kind of poke my tongue into my cheek a little bit uh, to poke some fun at that idea of this badass photographer idea so i tried to do that for the youtube videos as well at least it depends to be honest with you it depends on how much energy i have when i'm writing the script for the video about whether or not um any jokes get in there or if i'm just like i don't know rule of thirds yeah you put it on a line and
0: oh (laughs) god okay yeah that's that's one of the things that I've always kind of tried to promise myself is that I wouldn't become one of those photographers that takes themselves too seriously because for one it's the biggest pet peeve in the world to me to see somebody that's like, you know, well, I've been doing this since I was 5 years old and I have three doctorates in photography and <laughs> this is this is pretty much uh, my work. The thing is, We are so lucky to get to do what we do. We take pretty pictures for a living. And at some point you have to acknowledge that, you know, we are super lucky and we should be pretty happy and pretty thankful because there's some guy somewhere running a jackhammer right now, listening to us talk. They make, you know, not nearly as much money as they probably deserve. And here we are, we get to take pretty pictures and sit in front of a computer all day. <laughs> we are super lucky. And I, d- I never wanted to be the person that takes that for granted.
1: No, that's very well said, man. I think coming at photography with an attitude of gratitude, I didn't realize that was going to rhyme when I started to say it. But <laughs> I like that. It is really, really important. And kind of a another side of that same coin is... I feel like there's there should be no place for ego in photography. I mean, you can be confident in your work and you can be, you know, you could present that confidence. That's totally fine. But I think as soon as you start to have ego, that's really dangerous because, you know, I think about myself all the time in terms of, Okay, I might be I might have these certain skills in this arena, but anytime I try to do something new, I try to learn something new. Like I tried to learn how to ski last winter. And you know how much time I spent on my ass? I mean, just it's just ridiculous. So the idea that you should think that you're this amazing person because you have this very, very limited set of skills where you're better than other people in that particular Avenue. I honestly, I think you can only have an ego if you are an insecure person because Mm -hmm. if you're trying to grow, if you're trying to become a better person, you have to accept the fact that you're going to make a lot of mistakes and you're going to probably look stupid. Having an ego and looking stupid are kind of fundamentally incompatible. (laughs) ideas
0: you would think so, you would think that would be incompatible but if you spend <laughs> enough time on social media you'll realize that it does coexist that's true
1: okay yeah I, I would say having an ego with without self-awareness uh, perhaps <laughs> you know there's so many different kinds of photography even just within the world of photography yeah you might be a badass landscape photographer but as soon as you well, say maybe you want to go out and start shooting portraits, or maybe you want to go out and start shooting sports or action photography or climbing photography, man, you're starting over from ground zero. And mm-hmm. so, I mean, if you're the sort of person who wants to hole up within your little shell and and be you know egotistical about that tiny little kingdom in which you inhabit, that's cool. I'm a big believer that if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. So <laughs> um, I try to always focus on that perspective, And to be super grateful, like you said, that we can do what we do and also not to take ourselves too seriously because, one, there's way more important things to do than what we do. And as soon as you step outside of this tiny little foundation of excellence you may have built for yourself, you're just as hopeless and prone to mistakes as anybody else. So.
0: And, you know, social media has done a whole lot of amazing things for photographers and and artists in general. But one of the bad things that it's done is it's taken this art form that should not be a competition. And it's somehow it's somehow it's turned photography into a competition because we get likes and comments. And whoever has the most subscribers must be a better photographer because they have more subscribers. And it's kind of funny that that we have this art form. That we now see as some kind of sport that you can be good at and be the best at, but that's not how it should be.
1: Well, man, that's such a, such a totally fascinating topic. I've been thinking a lot about the idea of why humans are compelled to measure ourselves by numbers. And I mean, I think fundamentally it's because it's an easy thing to say, well, I've got 10,000 followers and you have nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine so in your face i rule <laughs> yeah. um so i that that idea it expands to all aspects of human existence so the two two uh, circumstances that made me think about this recently were a photographer i'm not i don't want to name any names but um posted about how many miles he had flown this year and it was like it was it was like you know, oh, man, I just hit uh, whatever it was, a hundred and something thousand miles flown for this year. And at the same time, and there was a woman who made um, some news in the middle of the year, I think, for being the first woman and the youngest person, I, I believe, to visit every single country on the planet. Or no, it was the first woman and the fastest person to visit every single country on the planet. And it got me thinking, because I am certainly prone myself to that sort of checklist idea. Like, yeah, okay, to date, I've been to 31 countries. I'm so cool. It totally, it's this complete straw man. You know, it completely gets the focus and the metric on the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, you start to judge your existence and judge other people's existence based on a completely arbitrary number, just because it's something we can actually measure. You know, there's no measurement for... How was the depth of your experience? What was the quality of your experience when you visited each of those 198 countries? The only thing that we're measuring it on is she did it super fast. Uh, Okay.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Congratulations. You didn't spend enough time in any of those places to even enjoy them or to get to know them, you know?
1: And I'm, I I can't speak to that. Maybe she had amazing experiences. um, And I would love to actually talk to this person, this woman myself to get her perspective on things. But just the idea of of saying like, oh, well, I'm so great because I've managed to cover X amount of distance or I've visited this many countries or have this many followers. It's just become this very strange proxy for, you know, the actual Mm -hmm. the actual quality of living. I think it's really fascinating to dive into why people want to measure themselves that way instead of. You know, like, yeah, you okay. So, we we just visited seven countries in 14 days, but like, wouldn't you rather have visited one country and had a really amazing, beautiful, profound experience with a local and gotten beneath the surface and started to understand the story of a place more than just, oh, yeah, I went down to Patagonia and I saw the Cuernos del Paine and I took a picture that pretty much looks like everybody <laughs> exactly. else's picture. And then i flew home
0: yeah it's kind of like the, the the collecting baseball cards mentality you know the pacific northwest is the, the photographers in the pacific northwest are very very guilty of this because we have such a checklist of just super iconic places like you know i want to go and photograph tipsu lake and then i want to go up and re- photograph reflection lake and there's all of these like baseball cards that you can collect and a lot of people never spend enough time to like go beyond that and to actually do something original and creative, which is exactly what photography is supposed to be in the first place. It's supposed to be this creative outlet, but it's kind of turned into something more mainstream and something more like the cool thing to do. Like for example, National Geographic photographers, they don't go and spend a weekend in a place. They go and they move there and they live there for two to three months and they're they're like living with the native peoples and they're like living in these tiny villages. And that's why their photography is so much better is because it's not just the, you know, the postcards that a lot of us are guilty of going and collecting. They're actually going and creating work and photographing what they see and photographing with like inspiration. That's a whole other topic. The inspired photograph oftentimes is not that baseball card that we're out collecting.
1: Yeah, that's absolutely right. I remember reading an interview with Nick Nichols, who is a Nat Geo photography editor at large, I think. He said something in this interview that when he gets an assignment, he basically blocks out a year of his life to wow. photograph that assignment. And then last year at um, Photo Plus Expo, one of the speakers for Nikon was Amy Vitali. She's a nat geo photographer as well and you know the question that everybody always wants to know is how can I become a nat geo photographer and she said it all comes down to storytelling are you telling the full and complete story of your subject you know and as you said so many of us you know myself included i i am 100% guilty of not telling a story but rather just kind of i don't know maybe giving the spoiler alert of the finale, right? Like you go to a place like Patagonia to use that as an example again, and take a couple of pictures of these enormous mountains. And those are, they're incredibly impressive, but they're just one tiny aspect of Patagonia. And it might be a visually striking part of it, but in terms of telling the complete story of that place, I mean, that's like saying you understand a person because you talk to them for five minutes
0: right
1: that kind of goes back to what we were we were talking about uh, before we actually jumped into the podcast about that idea of progression how for me personally I've definitely started to get to the point where as much as I love the I, I've started to call it at least inwardly cotton candy photography where you just go to the prettiest place and you take the prettiest picture you can mm-hmm. and you know it's so it's so nice and it tastes so good and it's so It just dissolves in your mouth and ooh, isn't it great, but it's completely unfulfilling in the long term, right? You know, if you just keep bouncing from place to place, for me, it's gotten to the point where I feel like this is not enough to sustain my creative spirit, Mm -hmm. and I will always love doing that kind of photography, but I've realized I want to start telling those more complete stories about the things that are important to me, the places that are important to me, or even the places that I'm that I'm traveling in. I mean, I learned this lesson uh, a long time ago, thirteen years ago. I was on a round the world trip, and I, I, man, I was a terrible traveler when I got started. So, because my my, uh, my excuse me, my education is in engineering. Engineering is really great if you're trying to solve a problem because it teaches you how to think through a plan and create a step by step approach to doing something. It doesn't necessarily make you a great experiencer of life, I'll say, because you kind of approach everything with that mindset. And so when I, when I graduated from college and I decided to go traveling, I had tackled my Travels like a problem. And so, I'm like, well, here's the start and here's my desired end point, And these are all the steps I need to take to get there. And <laughs> and so I would like instead of basing my travels on, wow, this place is so cool and fun. I'm going to stay here another day or two days or a week. I would say, well, the itinerary says I have to go on to the next town. So better go. Mm -hmm. And so like after a few months of traveling that way, at one, I was utterly burned out on traveling. And two, um, there were a couple of points where I either by just because I had to wait for a visa or there was bad weather or the roads were out or something. I ended up being forced to stay in one place longer than I thought it turned out every single time that happened, those were some of my most enjoyable experiences on the trip. And it didn't necessarily have to do with the place itself. Like for example, one time I got stuck in Phnom Penh in Cambodia and I was there about nine days and Phnom Penh, at least at that time, maybe it's changed now, but it was not a particularly enjoyable city. I mean, it was hot and (laughs) dusty and sweaty and gross and, um, But being stuck there for nine days, we kind of got below the surface of it and found these really weird things like there was a water park like with water slides there. And we went there one day and we're literally the only white people in this water park. And it was insane because, I mean, there's 40 kids on one water slide at one time and just there's backed up. And kids are slamming into other kids on the water slide. (laughs) And the lifeguards are just shooting more kids down the tubes. And it was just Just piling up at the bottom. Oh, yeah. I mean, just these huge masses of writhing Cambodian kids and three (laughs) white people all squished together in the pools. I remember those moments with such fondness because it was uh, those times when I got below the surface of the the thing that every single traveler experienced, right?
0: And, you know, that's kind of the thing about traveling, it, especially when we're talking about, you know, traveling for photography, for example i've been to iceland probably i think five times now uh, it wasn't really until my third trip there that i started doing anything original because the first couple times you go you're just photographing those postcards you're going and getting the shot like okay i went and got kirk like i i did that and i did that and then it wasn't until like the third time where i started like saying okay well i've already got the obvious shots what else can i do and then it was about at that point that i started doing something original that's why a lot of us have the strongest portfolios probably somewhere close to where we live where we can go over and over and we're not just photographing the same boring things that everybody else goes and gets that's kind of the the Same thought process for the Nat Geo photographers is that they're going and they're like living there to where they can get those obvious shots out of the way if there is an obvious shot. But you, like you said, you're kind of, after a while, you're able to get beneath the surface and actually start seeing the place for what is possible rather than what is obvious. That, I feel like that makes a huge difference in a person's photography.
1: I really like how you put that. What's possible rather than what's obvious. Uh, yeah, because that's really where you start to, you know, you probe those those depths. And so uh, I've definitely felt much less of a drive now this past year, especially after I got back from South America to just jet off again. And I'll say it again. I love traveling. And I love experiencing new places. But I've I've definitely gotten to the point now where I feel like it's time to tell a deeper story about the mm-hmm. place that I live in and and help people understand that it's more than just the pretty picturesque Eastern Sierra, but there's a lot of really interesting human history here, uh, the petroglyphs and yeah. um, that's all here. And then of course the water, water is a such a major issue. So basically, most of the water where I live is owned by Los Angeles, the city, and so. The, the story of how farms developed and how the tufas were exposed at Mono Lake and the fact that there used to be an enormous inland lake in Owens Valley called Owens Lake that had paddle steamers going across it that is now completely dry because L.A. diverted all of the water. They bought up all the water rights. I mean, these stories are fascinating and not that many people know about them.
0: Kind of one of the things that I was talking with Art Wolf about is that everything that he's always done, or at least, you know, in his later parts of his career, everything he's always done has always had like this purpose, this goal. Like, I am writing a book about this and I'm going to put photos of this inside of that book. And it's always been very goal driven. And there's always been like a deeper reason for his photography. And I think that's part of what's given him so much longevity in his career and he hasn't gotten just extremely burnt out like like I'm guilty of getting sometimes because I feel a lot like you where sometimes I just feel like I'm traveling around the world and taking the same photos in different places, you know, like I'm going to get my foreground. I'm going to get my background. I'm going to wait for a sunset and then I'm going to take a pretty picture <laughs> and it gets so formulaic that you get really sick of your own stuff, or at least I did because there wasn't that. That reason for it, like okay, you can take a photo now. Why are you taking a photo? And yeah. putting why back into the the equation, I think, gives your photography so much more meaning, and it makes it feel so much more important to, and relevant to yourself.
1: That's uh, the question. There is why. Why are you photographing? Um, it's a hard transition to make because you feel like as a photographer, you you have to produce. I think many of us now, a lot of the income who are working photographers, it comes from teaching, doing workshops, things like that. And, you know, you're supposed to be spitting out this constant stream of photos, of crowd pleasing photos, right? You know, you're yes. supposed to, you're supposed to post a photo every single day to Instagram if you want to grow your account and get followers. I think it's hard to break away from that and to pursue these deeper Projects. You know, I remember uh, Art Wolf, he gave the uh, keynote opening address at the Out of Chicago Photography Conference this past summer. He was talking about how he'd spent a year or two years or three years on some of these book projects. For photographers who are used to, oh, well, there's some nice clouds in the sky. I'm going to go out to my favorite go to spot and take a shot, process it up, and throw it up on the interwebs the next morning you have a 12 hour turnaround versus something that you're putting a year to two to three years of effort into and making that mental shift, I think is very challenging. Uh, I mean, I know it is for me when I think about, How am I even going to start any of these projects that I've been talking about, like, say, documenting some of the Owens River water issues? You know, that's not something that's going to I'm just going to go down and take a picture of an oxbow bend of Mount Tom and be like, well, there it is. That's the story of the Owens River. You know, I mean, this is day after day and week after week and month after month of probing and meeting the characters who involved in getting beneath the surface. And that's a daunting It is a daunting prospect.
0: Yeah, especially in our instant gratification society that we're in right now, you know, we're used to get, like you said, taking a pretty picture, posting it on Facebook, watch those nice comments roll in, flood yourself and feel good feelings and then go out and do it again. And that's kind of the, the process for a lot of us is that we go out, take that photo and we're doing it just for those nice comments. There's going to come a point where those nice comments are not doing it for you anymore. They're not making you feel fulfilled as a creative person. And if you're a full-time professional, it feels like entire existence is based around nice comments on Facebook. It's a pretty empty existence. And something like you're talking about, where you're telling the story of something larger and more important than you know how amazing Josh, Josh Cripps is, That is a great way of injecting some something that feels important back into what you do, thus giving you some longevity and inspiration and motivation again.
1: Yeah, I think so. And I think it's probably necessary because I, I don't know many people who basically decided I'm going to be a photographer and then bought a camera. You know, all of us got into photography for the joy of a certain experience or the joy of a certain kind of expression. And it was just about that. And then a couple years down the road, you start to think, hey, maybe I can turn this into a living. But we all start off with just that drive to enjoy the natural world and experience it through our cameras. And I think doing this kind of project helps bring you back to your roots a little bit where you can say, I'm doing this for the experience of telling the story. And it's not driven by the idea that I'm going to get 10,000 likes. Or it's going to net me a bunch of workshop clients because it's probably not going to do that. You know, you really just have to want to do it for the sake of that experience and for the sake of telling that story.
0: And some of the best work out there was not made because they were trying to get rich. It was made because it was something that they were passionate about and that they were really passionate about trying to tell that particular story. It's a labor of love. And a lot of times those labors of love loves those labor of loves labor (laughs) of love are the most fulfilling in the end and at some point you have to have some protein in that photography diet something with some substance rather than the cotton candy photography that you mentioned
1: i'm putting together a a video course right now it is oh my god man it is so much ridiculous where i understand now why everybody just makes post-processing tutorials because that literally takes a day yep and i've been working on this tutorial now. I mean, for I wrote the script for it about two years ago, but revised it this summer, took a week to film it. And then we're in the editing process right now, and it basically takes about three to four hours per chapter of this thing. There's 30 chapters (laughs) to find all of the sample imagery that I want to use to illustrate the points that i'm talking about and so last night i was going back through some of my early photos to find some examples of contrived foregrounds right where you just go okay i've got a wide angle lens i need something in the foreground hey there's a rock perfect (laughs) and um and i saw man there are some some sunrise shoots from within my first year of photography and i remember the purity Uh, I mean, the photos are terrible, but I remember the purity of those mornings where it was just, okay, I'm going to wake up at 4 a.m. And I'm going to drive, this was, I was living in LA at the time. So I'm going to drive up to Malibu to point doom and I'm going to photograph the sunrise and then I'm going to drive back and go to work. And it was just that, that whole love, that incredible, that the process of experiencing photography and enjoying it and learning. And you're just getting out there. For the pure, holy, just for the pure sake, taking a picture and and experiencing the, the world in that moment. And I kind of, I kind of miss that because now I'm always, there always seems to be some subtext to mm-hmm. the photos that I'm creating. Whether it's, oh, I think this one is going to help me uh, maybe sell the next new zealand workshop or maybe this one is gonna uh oh i need a sample photo to help illustrate this point for my tutorial or something like that with the exception of some of the photography i've been doing recently with a full moon it it does seem like a lot of my photography now always has that some little subtext other than just the pure enjoyment and exploration of the photographic process so it was fun to go back and kind of have that nostalgia for those early days.
0: Yeah. And I think a lot of that is the fact that when you mix business with your passion, when you become a full time photographer, there's always that part in the back of your head that's like, okay, now I need to pay a bill. You know, I need to turn this into money somehow. So, you know, every trip turns into a business expense and every single family trip that I've been on in the last three years has been based around photography in some way, because why would I travel without doing photography? <laughs> you know? Um why would I travel somewhere that's not massively photogenic? It's just the way it ends up when you uh, blend your passion and your hobby with business. That's just seems to be how it goes.
1: Yeah, I'm sure you're the same where you get an email every now and again about somebody who wants to uh quit their job or uh leave school to become a full-time photographer and they always want advice about how to do it, how to turn it into a business. And uh, basically at this point I've started telling people you really need to think long and hard about whether that's actually what you want to do Yeah, because it's really not a good job for a lot of people. You work crazy hours. You're away from your home and your family a lot. It's you take this thing that you love and turn it into something that stresses you out. And you also don't get to do the thing that you love as much. I remember when I was working as an engineer, man, five o'clock, I would, I was gone out the door, driving home from the office with my camera in tow. And I didn't, I didn't have to think about work anymore. It was just camera time, just photography time. And did I just could go anywhere, do anything, just pure enjoyment. And then, you know, complete separation between those two things. And I would take these super fun weekend trips out to wherever, you know, because working as an engineer, you have the disposable income. So, yeah, heck yeah, I'm gonna go go for a five week vacation to Alaska or <laughs> yeah, four yeah. weeks to New Zealand. Like, why not? And then and it's pure it's just this pure enjoyment of photography and the traveling. And then you come back and you get back to work and it's totally fine. And now it's like, okay, uh yeah, I'm going in like for this is actually a perfect example. I'll be back in New Zealand in spring. I'll be there from mid March to mid almost two full months. Now of those two months, a month, pretty much a month's st- not exactly straight, but uh, it's a, I have one 12-day workshop, five-day break, and then another 12-day workshop. So basically, one month entirely is devoted to taking other people around wow. uh, to help wow. them, which is totally fine. I love doing it. I love helping people experience the the beauty of a place like New Zealand, but it's not exactly... One, experiencing New Zealand for myself because we're going to places that I've been a number of times. Two, it's not exactly doing photography purely for photography because I'm helping a bunch of other people. And three, it's not exactly working. I mean, it's working in that I'm there with clients and I'm very dedicated to them to help them enjoy the process, enjoy the tour, and get the best possible photos of these amazing places. But at the same time, there's also other projects going on in the background and emails I need to respond to that aren't going to happen because I'm so focused on the tour. And so you kind of have these four things colliding in a situation, which used to be very singular. This is just yep. about traveling and experiencing a new place. And now it's these four things all kind of trying to be shoehorned into the same moment. And sometimes I feel like uh none of the four really get the attention they deserve. So, you know, I have a hard time, Traveling because I'm thinking about all the work projects that I'm trying to do at the same time, but I have a hard time doing those work projects because I feel guilty about sitting inside in a hotel room typing emails all day when I'm in New Zealand. So there's this this very strange battle going on between the two sides of that coin.
0: Yeah, and I can totally relate when I do workshops It's the same way. A lot of times my favorite days of workshops are the day before and the day after, because usually those are the days that I get to be just a photographer. It always feels like a throwback where you're remembering what it was like to just be a photographer. It didn't matter whether you got a good photo or not. You know, you're just kind of out going through the motions and not putting stress on yourself. And that's another thing is when you when you become a a professional, you know, quote unquote, and you're doing this a lot and you start getting lots of followers, you start getting all this pressure to like be consistent in the quality of your work. And and so when you go out and shoot nothing, but the most amazing photograph will do anymore. Otherwise people will berate you on social media. You can't have that. There's that pressure, you know,
1: there's a ton of pressure and there's not only pressure to be consistent within yourself, but there's pressure to be consistent within the current standards of what is good photography. True. And I know that's very frustrating for a lot of people right now who tend to shoot things more like intimate and abstract photography that may be amazing photographs, but they're not as punch you in the face eye catching as as what the kind of. Current accepted standard is so.
0: Yeah, thanks a lot, Mark Adamus. <laughs> <laughs> when ruined it for all the abstract photographers out
1: there. I don't know. I think we're all we're all complicit in trying to ever, get ever more epic. It's true.
0: If it's not mordor it's not worth posting. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, but you know, and also kind of getting back to what has kind of changed. At least it's probably the same with you. I know this is the way it is with me. In the early days, in the early days, the good old days, you know, when I would go out and I would take pictures after work, or even when I was first becoming a professional photographer, a full-time guy, when I would go out every single time I went out, I saw just that little bit of progression and you'd see that progression in yourself. And that was really what kind of gave you the warm fuzzies is that you could see yourself just getting a little bit better each time you went out. And then you reach this point where like, you just don't feel like you're getting much better anymore and you kind of plateau and then you're like, well, well, what now? Like what tutorial can I watch now? And you you reach that point where you just don't feel that same progression. And that's the one thing that I've learned is that the journey of getting better is what makes you feel good rather than the end goal of just being the best. And that's totally other subject because it's impossible to be the best because it's not a sport. It's a, it's an art form but just that feeling of getting a little bit better is where i used to get so much of my satisfaction it's kind of been robbed of from me lately or at least that's how it feels
1: yeah i can i can totally understand that i remember having conversations with uh, with jim patterson on the beach in santa cruz and you'd be looking at a i mean an extraordinary sunset and all the elements are there you've got the crashing waves the water flowing around the rocks and the sea stacks and arches and this amazing light and we're just sitting there looking at each other going well i guess i'll take another shot with a rocky foreground with the water flowing around it leading off to the sunset <laughs> i mean and so you're sitting like what why what am i doing out here if i'm not enjoying that but you know what i think um is a cool byproduct of that. I think you have to get to that point, either burnout or being in a rut or being bored with photography because that, in my opinion, is what encourages you to start trying new stuff.
0: Totally agree.
1: You know, so when you are so utterly stoked on just shooting wide angle, crashing wave, flowing water shots, that's awesome. Keep doing it. I mean, I was in that that zone for three to four years. And then I got to a point where I was like, all right, uh, there's there's got to be something more, right? So, and, it, and I think even small changes, like sometimes it was just, you know what? I'm going to stop shooting with my wide angle all the time because I have a whole portfolio of those kinds of shots. I, I want to see what kind of seascapes I can shoot with a 70 to 200 lens. Or I'm going to see if I can just shoot seascapes, like only vertical, only vertical compositions. Or, you know, even sometimes just doing things like, I don't know. I'm going to take my camera off the tripod and shoot panning wave. Just, you know, because your brain is just going, God, I need some stimulation, man. Think of something <laughs> exactly. different. Yep. Just give me anything different. And even if you're, I found that even if you're not super stoked on the idea to begin with, sometimes it provides just enough of that seed. When you plant it, it starts to grow into something more interesting, right? You know, okay, maybe you don't love shooting panning ocean wave shots, but maybe during one of those shots, you saw something accidental that made you think, Oh, you know, what would be cool is super. I, I don't know. Like, uh, let's just say, what if I started shooting 30 minute exposures during the middle of the day? Cause that I don't know. It's just something different. And the long exposure made mm-hmm. me think of long exposure, blah, blah, blah. And like, cool. Now I have a new thing to explore that I think that is so. Critical, So that boredom kind of leading to stagnation, which leads you to not being afraid anymore to try different things.
0: Yeah, and There's a reason that like when you listen to music, your favorite band, their first album doesn't sound anything like their last album. It's not necessarily that they drastically changed their personal influences and stuff. It's that the fact that you can't sit play the same five songs over and over and over and over and over, and over for years and be content. You have to grow and develop as an artist. Otherwise, what's the point? And being in an artistic field, it's all about creating. And if you don't feel like you're creating something new, it quickly loses its its luster, its sparkle. It loses its sparkle if you do the same thing too many times because you got to grow. Otherwise, what's the point?
1: I, I totally agree. And I think the music analogy is the perfect one because before I got into photography, I would act like many other people. Okay, this band that I love, say band Boston, you know, their first album. It's just the archetypal Boston sound. And every time I hear any song from that album, I'm ready to rock out, man. And then you hear some of their later stuff with all the synthesizers. And, and you're like, eh, I wish, I wish they sure had like just <laughs> yeah. stayed with their original. But now being on the other side of the coin. Mm-hmm. God, man, I totally empathize 100% with every person who's ever in a, been in a band that has been criticized for creating a dramatically different sound. Because you have to. You have to just keep exploring. Otherwise, like you said, you'll just get so burnt out and so bored with creating music that why would you even do it anymore?
0: Yeah, and the, the part of that analogy that I'm not looking forward to... Is when you show up, you get on stage, and people start yelling out, "Play Free Bird," because you know? <laughs> where <laughs> they they want your they want that old classic Josh Cripps shot, and they don't want the new artsy fartsy version. And that's gonna happen. I mean, that's gonna happen to all of us. We're gonna progress, and we'll get more and more creative, and a little bit more and more artsy fartsy. And you know, there might be viewers or fans of our work that prefer that older stuff like let's give us a a mount rainier big sunset shot josh what's what's up with all these wave panning photos <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah. and that's just how it goes that's how it is in an art form and the, that's the thing is if you're if you're shooting for yourself that stuff doesn't matter as much and it's okay if people are don't love every single photo that you're doing that means that you're actually doing something new and original if people like every single photo you're doing it most likely it's because you are absolutely in the mainstream and you're just doing what everybody else is doing
1: that's right and i think that also speaks to what we were talking about about choosing photography as a career if you are not shooting to make a living you have complete and utter freedom to shoot whatever you want and it doesn't affect you you know you're just shooting to express yourself whereas you know if you if you have built a career in whatever form, whether it's selling prints or teaching workshops on a certain kind of photography, and then you alienate your base completely by going, well, I think now I'm only going to do, like, nude, black, and, well, maybe that's not a good example (laughs) because people probably still want (laughs) to join the workshop. Yeah,
0: it'll be a completely different set of of faces, though, probably.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you know, just whatever you're doing differently, you're going to, all of a sudden, your customer base, so to speak, that has sustained you, How do you how do you reconcile those two things? And I think that's something that every photographer needs to to uh, to think about themselves, because it's very strange. You have, you know, that I find personally that most of my success comes from maybe this is obvious, but it comes from my history. It comes from the relationships I've built. It comes from the photos that I've produced in the past, the clients that we've developed, the people who. Maybe four years ago, weren't ready to buy a print, but today they are. So you have this huge anchor that connects you to the artist that you used to be. Mm -hmm. At the same time, you have that personal expression and you're trying to explore the artist that you want to become in the future. But if your entire business is based on your past, how do you how do you straddle those two selves? Right.
0: And so many photographers, at least with me. You know, I look at all of my old work and I just like roll my eyes and like, oh, it's all garbage. (laughs) You know, the, the newest stuff is always the best because you're kind of growing and changing and you see whatever you're producing now as... The best just like any musician sees their their newest album as their best album and they hate those old albums even though some people might like their old albums better than their new album and when you're a professional when you're a full-time person you have to make a living off of it you can't just abandon your fan base like you're talking about you can't just be like well i don't do that anymore and i don't teach that anymore we're gonna do some panning wave shots <laughs> you know this is yeah. the, you, you lose that luxury when you go full-time
1: I think you're right, and I think you do. You just lose it. Now, the the cool thing that you do gain, though, is I think you have a better better platform to bring people with you into the new artistry that you're exploring. When you can tell people, yeah, okay, we can definitely, you know, we can help you learn how to take these kind of photos. But you know what I'm really excited about right now is shooting these kind of photos, and here's why. And I, I think maybe that's a good way to help, you know, bridge that gap True. to some extent.
0: Absolutely. So, Josh, what kinds of stuff do you have coming up? Do you got workshops? I know we're go- both going to be at out of Moab, which is going to be amazing. And yeah, um, I feel Oh
1: man, I am so looking forward to that. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't want the time always goes by way too fast. And so I know it's going to be next October in no time. Um, but I am really looking forward to it.
0: Yeah. So many great people. You know the Jay and Verena Patel. I'm a huge Thomas Heaton fan, and uh, this will be the second time doing one with him. I was at the Out of Acadia workshop, and it was so w- smooth and well done. If you're one of the people that is going to Out of Moab, one of the cool parts is that you just like hang out with all the instructors, and you're just like sitting at a table, and you'll have you know Sarah Marino on one side of you and Josh Cripps on the other, and it's it's really cool.
1: Yeah, I um, like I said, I was at their uh, out of Chicago conference this summer, um, which was such a blast. And being there as a landscape guy was a cool experience because they're just everyone is there doing architecture and and street portraits and things like that. But um, it's such a fun group of people to be around. And my experience there was the the clientele man. It's just a bunch of people who freaking love photography. Yeah. And what better group could you want to spend a week with in an amazing place?
0: And, you know, unlike a lot of other workshops, you know, the way most workshops work is you go and you hang out with that instructor and a group of people four days a week, whatever length of time that this is. this is kind of like a workshop where you get, you know, presentations throughout the day and then you get to pick and choose which uh, instructors you're going to hang out with. So you can be like, okay, I'm going to go out with this person in the morning. Then I'm going to go out with this instructor in the evening, next day, completely different set. And it's like going on a workshop with, you know, however many 15 different instructors. And it's really cool. I wish I was a participant and not an instructor so I could go out <laughs> on some of these. Cause, and one of the things that you said, listening to uh, uh, Matt Payne's show, which you guys should go subscribe to F stop and collaborate. One of the things you talked about that I related with so well was the imposter idea, the idea of feeling like an imposter. Maybe you can recap that because it's just so exactly how I feel.
1: Sure. Absolutely. So, um, yeah, the imposter syndrome, basically the idea that the more successful that you become in whatever field you're in, the more you feel like you don't belong at that level of success. Um, basically it comes from the, the fact that you know all of your accomplishments in addition to all of your failures and all of the bad things. Whereas when you get in these very high echelon level experiences, all you see are the, the creme de la creme. You don't, you don't know their, their failures. You don't know the things that they, these people don't like about themselves. And so, uh, like I was recently asked to speak at, at a conference called photo fusion, which is, um, Down in Florida in this coming January, you know, and the speakers, if you look up the speaker list, it's ridiculous. So the guy who runs the conference was the photography editor for Sports Illustrated for 17 years. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, and, and is the head manager of this thing called the Eddie Adams workshop. I think that's what it's called. Um, I mean, this super high level workshop and, and all of the instructors are Pulitzer Prize winning this and, you know, staff photographer for uh, this magazine and that magazine. And I'm like, Oh, I mean, I'm just podunk crips from (laughs) friggin' the sticks in California. And I like to take pictures of pretty places, you know? And so you, you, I just feel like, what am I doing here with this caliber of, of person?
0: And I can so entirely relate with that. Like when I taught at the out of Chicago portrait conference, there I was, like standing up there next to Lindsey Adler, and I'm just thinking to myself, "What? <laughs> what? <laughs> How does this happen? Like, it, yeah. what an yeah, oversight totally. on their part to have Nick Page at this thing. Like, they must have been really suffering." And I felt the same way, you know, at out of Acadia, where I'm sitting up next to Thomas Heaton, Aaron Bobnick, and Brian Peterson. I'm thinking. Man, this is just absurd. It's crazy. What an oversight on their part <laughs> to have Nick here. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, totally. Yeah. Totally relate.
1: Yeah, it's like, did you guys mean to invite Josh Cribbs? <laughs> or like, sure you, you got that name right?
0: Yeah, no kidding. So, where can people go to find out more about you and all the different things you're up to? Well,
1: probably the best place is uh, to jump on my website. That's just Joshua C R I P P S dot com. That kind of has. Everything I'm doing um, from upcoming news and events uh, like this photo fusion conference also be at uh, CES a consumer electronics show in January if anybody's down in Vegas for that come say hi and that's got yeah upcoming workshops and tutorials and my portfolio and all that kind of stuff so that's probably the best place of course you can always shoot me an email I try to write uh, I try to write back to everybody's email even if I don't do it right away.
0: And I highly recommend his YouTube channel. He's got some of the most hilarious, entertaining YouTube tutorials out there. They're excellent. And tons and tons of tutorials on his website as well. So make sure you go check that out. Thank you so much for coming on, Josh.
1: Thanks, Nick. It's been a pleasure.
0: Awesome. All right. Thank you guys so much. And we'll see you next week.